Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Uh, we began a series a couple weeks ago called Empower. We're going to continue in that series. We're talking about empowering men and women in the church, empowering men and women as singles, empowering men and women in their marriages, and empowering men and women in culture. Uh, as, as culture works out, what, is, what does gender mean? We're going to talk about that as well. Um, and if you're new to this series, you can catch up uh, over these past couple weeks by, by looking at our live stream page or you know, downloading the podcast from our website. Uh, it would be a, a great way to catch up on, the, on this series. But... Uh, you know, being misunderstood is—it's uh, it's unfortunate. We probably—you've probably all been there at some point in time. I know I've been there. You say something you didn't mean to come out that way, or or you, you just—that's not exactly what you meant in that situation. And someone hears you and they take it the wrong way, um, and that's that's something we all deal with. It's something actually that uh, is, is sometimes it's kind of funny, uh, especially when companies, these international companies, as they're trying to sell products in different countries. Sometimes they, they're trying to communicate this uh, this product, and it just this doesn't come out the right way. There's a, a Swedish manufacturer. They, ma- they manufacture vacuum cleaners. You may have one of these vacuum cleaners. Uh, the company is called Electro- Electrolux. Now, in the 90s, when they were marketing their vacuum cleaners to the U.S., this was their marketing uh, slogan. It said, uh, when they first came out in the U.S., it says, nothing sucks like an Electrolux. Yes, it's just suck up the dirt, but uh, you know it, 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 it kind of translates in kind of a funny way. Pepsi, uh, years ago, Pepsi had a, uh, a marketing slogan that was come alive with the Pepsi generation. That made, made great sense here in America, but when it was translated in Taiwan, it came out as Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the dead, uh, which what remarkable soda that is being sold, right? And you've probably seen pictures like this one where, where uh, things aren't translated right. You know, it's just supposed to be cleaning in progress. Uh, I don't know how it got to execution, but um, there's some awful things happening in that bathroom. Or this menu uh, that uh, is kind of pushing. Yep, that may happen, but I don't think that's how you want to say it, uh, right? I was living, Trina and I were living in, in China with our kids, and uh, I, I grew up in, in Hong Kong, and I was you know, practicing my Cantonese uh, with people I was meeting. We lived in an apartment building, had a security guard, uh, and you know, I'd come home from work, and you'd, uh, you'd you know, show your pass, and they'd buzz you into your building, and I was, I was just you know, trying, to be, trying to be kind. So every night when I was coming back, I was telling our security guard, good night. I was saying in Cantonese, good night, good night. I did it month after month. For three months, I had done this. And I was at work, and a, and a coworker was asking me how my Chinese was going on. And so I was sharing. I was saying, I'm talking to my guard and I, telling him good night. And, um, and as I'm, I'm, I'm speaking it in Chinese to the, my friend, she says, oh, no, 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 don't say it that way. I said, why? That doesn't mean good night? She goes, no, 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 that's a curse. That means I hope you die. Uh, <laughs> For three months, I have been telling this guy, I think I'm saying good night, and he's hearing, I hope you die. He's just smiling, and he's, you wonder what, he, what he's thinking. And fortunately, there are companies out there who are helping us make sense uh, of, of you know, other languages. You know, Google Translator, the, this, this app that you use your camera, here's a picture here, you can hold it over a sign, like here's a Russian sign, actually translates it in, into English, and that that's a fantastic uh, tool to have when you're trying to find your way around or understand something. It doesn't quite make sense to you. 
And in our series called Empower, um, in, in a way, what I'd love to do is to be able to just sort of take that Google Translator app and sort of stick it over a, a text and, and help us see what's really going on here. And the reason I want to do that is because I believe that the Apostle Paul is one of the most misunderstood uh, figures in the New Testament. He's just one of the most misunderstood guys, especially on this topic when it has to do with men and women in the church. Um, uh, you, you know, because in, in one setting, Galatians chapter three, Paul cast this amazing vision. We we're, we're heirs of Abraham. Salvation is ours in Christ. This, this promise has been fulfilled that was given to Abraham, Abraham, that you, you'll be blessed and you'll be a blessing to the nations. And Paul says that salvation has implications. And he says that there is now there's neither Jew nor Gentile, meaning now there's no one, one people group through which God is revealing himself to which that people group will reveal to the world. That, that, that there's not just one people that, that has an understanding of who God is. Now everyone has an understanding of who, now everyone can understand who God is. Salvation is for all people. Then he says there, now there's no slave or free. Meaning that it doesn't matter if you're in an entry-level job or if you're a CEO. Because many Jews believe that if, if you were wealthy and you were doing well in life, God's blessing was on you. If things were tough, God's blessing was not on you. So it doesn't matter if you're entry level or you're CEO, you, you know, salvation is for you as well. And there is no male or female, meaning that you know, there were Jewish men who they prayed in the morning. They prayed, thank you, God, that, I'm, that I was not born a woman. And women in, in Jesus' day, they were, they were not taught the scriptures. They were not taught the Torah. They were not educated. So here we have Paul who's unveiling this glorious vision there's now no, no Jew or Gentile, no racism. God reveals himself to all people. Now, there, now there's no slave or free. There's no classism, okay? It doesn't matter where you, what you do, wherever you find yourself in the social strata, it is, God's salvation is for you. And so there's no classism, and there's no sexism. It, that, that, that male or female, salvation is for you. No racism, no classism, no sexism. And yet as we keep going through the New Testament, we read passages like we're going to read today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 14. If you want to grab your Bibles, you can head that direction. Page 955 in your pew Bibles, you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But as you get there, what you discover is it seems like Paul is saying something radically different. Now, Herbert Mueller, in his book called Freedom in the Ancient World, kind of puts a voice to this misunderstanding of Paul. And he actually um, really kind of rips into him a little bit. This is what Mueller writes. He says, although women had fared well with Jesus, appearing as central figures in many of the gentlest parables and episodes of the Gospels, their degradation began with St. Paul. While he remarked in passing that male and female were one in Christ Jesus, he taught more emphatically that on earth women should be subject to men in everything as one who had been created for the sake of man. Even so, Paul did not really approve of her creation. 
Now, I, I don't know where you, where you would peg yourself on this, uh, as we've been talking to you, you know, complementarian, egalitarian. I, I, don't, I would say most people, whether they're complementarian or egalitarian, would both would disagree with what Mueller is saying here. That this, this idea that, uh, that women are second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. I don't, whatever your convictions, I, I don't think that either would agree with what Mueller is saying here. But the, the point of the matter here is that, that Paul is so misunderstood. In one, in one, one setting, he's saying no racism, no classism, no sexism. And then we get to uh, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And, uh, and we read what Paul says there. He says these words. He says, I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. And Paul goes on to say, but there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. A man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping. For man is made in, the, in God's image and reflects God's glory. And woman reflects Man's glory. Now, I mean, just explain this because, like, what in the world is going on here? This is so confusing. Um, uh, you know, you got, you got haircuts, and you know. By the way, this is the text that, in many traditions, this is why, uh, in some traditions, or maybe you grew up being taught this, that you, men can't wear you, you can't wear a hat to church because you don't want to cover your head. And this is why, in some traditions, women do cover their heads. And let me just also step back and say, you know, when we, when, we, when we interpret what scripture is saying, we use a lot of lenses. One of the lenses we use is the cultural lens. What, what is happening here that reflects the culture of the day? That actually it's not a command for future generations. Um, and another, another thing you might do when you're, when you're interpreting scripture is you're trying to figure out what's descriptive and what's prescriptive. Meaning, what's just describing how something is happening versus what is an actual command? And so, for example, when Jesus is healing a man who's blind, one of the ways he does it is he spits in the dirt, makes mud, applies the mud to the man's eyes, and he's healed. Now, is that descriptive or prescriptive? Well, it's descriptive because Jesus heals other blind people and doesn't spit into the dirt and make mud, right? He's just describing that one situation of how Jesus healed the blind man. So, so we have to be able to use wisdom of our understanding of Scripture to understand what's cultural, what's descriptive, and what's prescriptive. Um, and in this text, we got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, real, real quickly, this whole thing about shaving heads and all that. There was a, there was a, a temple in Corinth, and uh, this temple, the religious practice revolved around prostitution. And the prostitutes in that temple had shaved heads. So Paul is talking about something that's sending a message. And he's saying, actually, he'll say a little bit later, that it's shameful for a man to have long hair. Some of you heard that when you were growing up. Well, that's because there was, there was meaning behind men with long hair in that temple. So just that's a little bit of that. But here's really what I want to get to is the beginning of chapter 11 where Paul seems to present a hierarchy. And this is kind of what it, what it, it looks like. 
We've got woman, and the head of woman is man, and we got man, and the head of man is Jesus, and we got Jesus, and the head of Jesus is God. Now, this, this seems to present itself. It seems that Paul is saying that, look, here's the, here's the ladder, and here's the most, least important person, here's the most important person. But this is actually where we need to get our little Google Translator app and put it over the text. So we make sure we understand what Paul's intent is here. And you'll see this very clearly. If Paul was trying to create a, uh, a, a, an order or hierarchy, he would use a word, as we step into the classroom here like we did last week, he would use this Greek word, which we actually use this word. It's the Greek word arche. And it communicates top position. So if that's what Paul is trying to do in this text he would use this word. And in English, we have words like, say, a leader in some churches and some expressions of Christianity is called an archbishop. This would be, that's just this word arche, arch being the, the lead bishop. Or you might have someone who is an arch rival. This is your top rival or an arch enemy. Someone who is just, this is someone that you're just, you're just, you're battling against. Even the word hierarchy has this word in it. And it presents, it presents a, a sort of a structure of, of a hierarchy or, or who's on top and, and who's at the bottom. And oftentimes what's happened is, is this word archage is translated head. Colossians chapter one, verse 18, speaking of Jesus. And he is the head or archae of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Very clear what Paul is saying here. He uses that word arche. Jesus is head of the church. He's the, he's the archbishop. He's the chief shepherd, okay? But what's interesting is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul doesn't use that word. He doesn't use the word arche. He uses a different word, uh, he uses a word that some of you may know. It's, it's, it's a word called kephale. It's spelled K-E-P-H-A-L-E. -E. You don't need to remember that word. What you just need to remember is that it's not the word arche. Kephale means, it can mean source. Oh, if you were using an English word, like it's, it's headwaters. It's like a lake that's the headwaters to a river. Or sometimes it's a military term. It means to be on point. If you're, if you're leading a, a platoon, you're on point. You're, you're, the, you're the one putting yourself at risk for everyone else. You're sort of just kind of blazing the trail. And it, it, this can't be a hierarchy. If you go back to that, that, uh, that God, Jesus, man, woman, it can't be hierarchy because if it was a hierarchy, this would have implications for the Trinity, the Trinity, now this is one of those divide for uh, theologies that, that we, we believe that, that, that the Trinity is eternal and co-equal. In fact, there was a heresy that, that was in the, in the early church that the Council of Nicaea addressed on this particular idea that Jesus is subordinate to the Father. So Paul absolutely is not talking about that that you know, God's on top, and then Jesus, and then man and woman. He's going somewhere completely different, and so we can't read that as a hierarchy. But what I do want you to notice is in verse 5. We're going to jump from verse 5 to chapter 14. 
Verse 5 says, but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. I want you to notice this. We have a woman in the church who's praying and prophesying. And Paul's, I want you to remember that because this, this is living out the, the priesthood of all believers. That we have a woman who's doing a priestly job of praying. She's doing a priestly job of prophesying. And Paul is acknowledging that this is happening in the church. And, um, and, and, he, and we're going to use, we're going to kind of reflect on that as we go to chapter 14. But let me just take this, this quick commercial break. Because this is all heady stuff, right? We're going to the classroom. This is all heady stuff. Let me just give your, your mind a break. Trina and I went to Nashville last week and got to see our grandson. Our, this is our fifth grandson. His name is Charlie. Charlie uh, was born a month early, and this is us holding Charlie in Nashville last week. I got to meet him. Uh, it's our third grandson. We have two granddaughters. Named after, he's named after my, uh, my grandfather, and that's a shameless plug for my grandson that I wanted you to know and see. We got back yesterday morning. Um, our hearts filled up with being with our grandson, and I forgot to show that at the beginning of sermon, just like I did last night, but there's a short commercial break. Back to the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. <laughs> Okay, first, remember, remember now, there's a woman praying and prophesying in the church, and Paul doesn't have an issue with that in chapter 11, but we get to chapter 14, and we discover some other, he's going to give some instructions that are kind of hard to understand, bearing what we just read in chapter 11. Now, a little background on Corinth, Corinth is a messed up church, there's all kinds of chaos in this church, it's a tremendously gifted church, great things going on there. Um, but you know, there's these factions and divisions. Some are bragging about being baptized by Apollos, and others are bragging they were baptized by Peter, and some are bragging and boasting that they're baptized by Paul. There's jealousy and quarreling. There's, a, there's a, it's kind of a really disgusting case of incest in the church. There's, um, there's just all kinds of, of chaos. In fact, in chapter 14, you, you, you probably, some of you may know this verse because it, 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 Paul goes on and saying in verse 33, our God is not a God of disorder but of peace. And that word disorder in other parts of the New Testament is translated riot. This, there's this riotous, chaotic, disorderly conduct happening in the church. And so what Paul is going to do, he's going to give three instructions for their worship services to calm the chaos. All right? First one is this. Uh, you'll see it on the screen here, and it's, it's found in verses 26. It uh, and, and goes on to say, my, Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When we meet together, one will sing, one will teach. In verse 27, no more than two or, three, two or three of you should speak in tongues. There were, there were people who were using their spiritual gift of tongues, and many people were doing it, and, and there was no interpretation. And what Paul will go on to say is that you're just edifying yourself and not the body. If you really love the body... Just one or two, tops three, you, you use your gift, but, but then let's interpret it so we can all be blessed by what God is saying through that gift. That I'm bringing order to chaos. This is what Paul's doing. Second thing that Paul says, only two or three may prophesy, and they must take turns each weighing the words of others. So you've got people speaking in tongues, then you've got people prophesying, and they're prophesying over the person who prophesied over the person who prophesied. And no one's able to hear this word that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us, strengthens us, comforts us, and encourages us. 
That everyone's just doing, it's just, it's just, they're prophesying over each other. And it's chaotic. So you got the gift of tongues being used in a chaotic way. You got prophesying happening in a chaotic way. And then Paul says this. Women are to be silent in church and inquire of their husbands at home. Now, let me just read those two verses, verses 34 and 35. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Okay, now, remember chapter 11? We have women praying and prophesying in church. In chapter 11, that's not a problem. We get to chapter 14, and suddenly... It's a problem. Now, what is going on here? Because it seems like an apparent contradiction. And again, this is where we need to get our Google app translator, put it over the text, so we can see what, what is Paul actually saying here. And the reason we have to do that is because I believe that the Apostle Paul is one of the most misunderstood characters you'll find in the New Testament. That at one time he can cast this beautiful vision, no racism, no classism, no sexism, but then you turn around and you read something like this. So again, we got to step into the classroom to make sure we understand what he's saying. Now, if Paul is trying to say that women should absolutely not make a peep, he would use this word called femu. This is a word that, in English, you'd say it this way. I have a hard time saying it because my mom would never let me say this word. It's to say, shut up. Okay, I got in trouble when I said that. Uh, this is to just—it's a stern, it's a command. Be quiet. Let me just show you this in other places in Scripture. Matthew, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, you can read the context here, but it says, "Hearing that Jesus silenced or shut up the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together." This, the context here is the Sadducees are saying, hey, we got this woman, and she marries a man, and that man dies, and the woman marries the man's brother, and that man dies, and the woman marries the next brother, and that, that man dies, and we would go, there's a problem here. Someone should investigate. But you know, there's seven brothers, and they all die, and the Sadducees ask the question, so whose husband will she, will she have? You know, who will be the husband in heaven? Now, they don't believe in a resurrection, and Jesus tells the Sadducees that there is no marriage in heaven. He silenced them. Here's, here's, in Mark, we see Jesus silencing an evil spirit. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit saying, be silent, come out of him. It's a very stern command. But when you look at this text and Paul is saying, women are to be silent in church, he doesn't use this word. Now, if Paul is really trying to say that women should never make a peep in church, there should be no singing or no praying or prophesying, even though we saw it in chapter 11. He would use this word, but he doesn't use this word. He uses a fascinating word. It's the word sigao, um, S-I-G-A-O in English. And this word means to voluntarily be silent. Let me explain this. I'll show this in Scripture. Another, another text, Luke 9. And when the voice, this is the transfiguration and when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, Seagal, and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. If you remember, Jesus asked his disciples to not share this story of the transfiguration until after the resurrection. And so these three disciples voluntarily 
silence themselves. They, they, they listen to what Jesus is saying, and they, and they, they choose to be silent. That's Seagal. To, to understand Fimu and Seagal, it's kind of, picture this. You're in a movie theater, and there's, you're enjoying a movie, and, and you've paid good money to see this movie, and, and there's some people behind you, and they're having a conversation. They're just, you know, they're, they're catching up on life behind you as you're trying to watch a movie. If, if you turn around and say, hey, can, can you guys not talk during the movie? Because I'm, I'm you know, trying to watch this. That's Seagal. Could you volunteer? Could you, I'm leaving it up to you. Could you be, could you be silent? That's Seagal. If you turn around and threaten the lives of the people and tell them, shut up or else, that's Fimu. Can you, can you feel the difference? So when Paul is saying here, remember, it's a chaotic situation, riotous behavior in the church. No, no multiple people speaking in tongues. We need interpretation. No prophesying over each other. And women be silent. Voluntarily silence yourself. Why would he say that? He would say that because there are very few times in, their so, in, in, in the social life of a city in which men and women would come together, and there are no times when, very few times, I should say, that women are actually educated. So they have, they have no context for knowing what's appropriate behavior in the classroom, so to speak. So what's happening is Paul is teaching, and in many cases, women who are hearing this, they've never been taught before. And they have questions, and so they're having dialogue. It's kind of like you're a teacher, and you're teaching a middle school class. You've got 30 students, and they're all talking to each other. And what you're going to say is, please, you know, Paul will actually say, it's shameful to talk this way. What he's saying is, it's, this is not appropriate behavior in church. Could you voluntarily silence yourself? Ask the questions later. Ask your husband at home. The husbands were used to being educated. And the reason what, I'm, what, I'm, what I want you to see here is that Paul is not saying that women have no role in the life of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see that they're praying and prophesying. But what oftentimes is taken is this, this text is often taken to, to actually disen, have women disengaged from the life of the church. And what Paul really is doing is he's trying to bring order to chaos. Now, let's say that you're here, and you, you, oh, you know, that makes sense, and, I, and I'm with you, and, and, and I agree. Or maybe you're here and you're going, nah, I, don't, I don't know if I really buy that, Steve, and um, well, let's, just, let's just move this direction. Let's, let's just say there is a hierarchy. Let's just say that um, you know, there, there are people who are in charge of other people, and some roles are for some people, some roles are for others. Let, let's just look at it this way. What was Jesus... What was his opinion on what life should look like in hierarchy? And let's remind ourselves that there was this day when a mom came to Jesus and brought her two boys, James and John. And, and this mom came to, to Jesus and said, hey, I want my two boys to sit on your right and your left when, when, when your kingdom comes. And Jesus looks at the boys and says, I'm going to drink this cup of bitter suffering. Can you drink this cup of bitter suffering? And they say, yep, yep, we can. And they have no idea what they're talking about. They just want position. And Jesus says to them, don't lead like the Gentiles. The Gentiles love to lord it over others. And they like, they like to use their position. They, they, they oppress others within hierarchies. In another case, Jesus will say, the first will be last and last will be first. 
But probably the most compelling picture that Jesus, this model that Jesus gives us of how to lead, comes when he's having his final meal with his disciples, the Last Supper. He is the Lord of the universe. He was there when the world was created. And the Lord of the universe strips down, takes a towel, and the Lord of the universe becomes a slave. And he washes his disciples' feet. And then he says to his disciples, do you see what I'm doing here? This is, this is how you, this is how you are to live. The Son of Man, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gives a pretty strong counterpunch to any oppressive hierarchy. It says that you know, there, will be order, there will be hierarchies in life, but as Christians in leadership, we need to understand that Christ-like, Christ-like leadership always leads with humility. The Lord becomes a slave. The leader comes to serve. And I happen to believe that, that Paul here, he's just trying to bring order to chaos And oftentimes a passage like this will be used to say this person can't do this because they're supposed to be silent. And that's not not what Paul is saying here. And we need need understanding, we need wisdom, but more than anything, we need humility. So let me just wrap up by saying this. Paul says, no Jew or Gentile, no racism. Friends, could it be that The Spirit of God is saying to you that this is an area in which you need humility. Maybe there is a person of another race. Maybe there's a person of another ethnicity who speaks another language that you feel superior to. And maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you, this is an area in your life where you need humility. You you need to humble yourself. Understand, there's there's, there's no one people group that God favors over anyone else. Or maybe it's in this area of classism where we need humility. Maybe because of the job you have or the amount of money you make, you've bought into this this lie that that you're superior to someone. Perhaps that's an area where you need humility. That you've somehow translated your job into equaling that I'm, I'm more important than someone. No racism. No classism in the kingdom of God. And no sexism. Maybe because of your gender, and this is male and female. Maybe somehow pride has crept in, and, and you have looked at this as a because of, of, of my gender, I'm superior to, another, another, to the opposite gender. Maybe this is an area in which you need humility. Because however you believe this, this conversation should go, we can all agree that we must follow the example of our Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He shows us the way to live. Let's pray to that end. So Lord, as we hear your word, we wanna be doers of your word. So Jesus, what, what are you saying to us today? What do you want us to know about who you are? What response are you looking for from us?
Or how can we better reflect, as men and women who are made in the image of God, how do we better reflect who you are to our world? Reveal yourself to us, we pray in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.